Welcome to ASME TechCast, bringing you the innovators, innovations, and issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm John Kozowatz, a senior editor of Mechanical Engineering Magazine and ASME.org. As we're recording this TechCast episode, Joe Biden is days away from being inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. The change in administration and the change in the makeup of the Congress, Democrats will control an evenly divided Senate and also the House, but they're with a much smaller majority. This all brings changes in policy and new faces to Congress who will impact the work and industries in which engineers participate. And to discuss some of these changes, I'm joined today by ASME's Paul Fakes. Paul is Senior Manager of Government Relations in ASME's Washington, D.C. office. And Paul, welcome. Thanks uh, for having me, John. It's a pleasure to join you. Pleasure to have you here. Let's get into this now. What are some of the key dynamics that are going to shape uh, the next Congress? It'll be the 117th Congress. Yeah, that's right. So uh, as many of our listeners will know, uh, Nancy Pelosi was narrowly reelected as Speaker of the House on the opening day of the new Congress. And these tight margins in the House mean that she'll face procedural challenges from Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on the right and pressure to advance progressive goals from members of her own party on the left. And as you noted, it looks like Democrats will have a narrow uh, majority in the Senate uh, with Kamala Harris uh, providing the 51st tie-breaking vote on any critical votes that come down to 51. Um, and I would note that Democrats will have to negotiate more with moderates in the Senate rather than the progressive wing of the party, as, for example, both the chair and ranking member of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee in the upcoming Congress uh, come from traditional coal states. Uh, so Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming on the Republican side and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia in particular has been uh, has been a, a moderate uh, throughout his career and has never endorsed the, the Green New Deal or many of the other big spender items on the progressive agenda. But it's extremely helpful for President-elect Biden's agenda to be negotiating with these moderate Democrats uh, rather than the most conservative Republicans. So with this 51-seat majority, uh, Democrats will also now be able to use the budget reconciliation process to advance some of their biggest policy goals. Um, this will still be a, a really complicated procedure for them. Uh, and you may recall that Democrats used this procedure to pass the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare uh, back in uh, 2009, 2010, when they last held the Senate a decade ago. Uh, and Republicans have frequently used the same procedure to pass some of their own big ticket spending items like uh, the Bush tax cuts uh, early in the Bush presidency, and most recently the 2017 Trump tax cuts. So when you recall that the 2017 tax cut had a $1.9 trillion price tag, uh, spending something in the nature of $2 trillion on an energy infrastructure and climate resilience package, as President Biden has proposed, this starts to look like more of an achievable goal for the Democrats. And there are plenty of Republicans eager for something in the nature of a $1.5 trillion infrastructure package as proposed by President Trump. So this seems like there's room for a deal on uh, an energy and climate package. And who will um, some of the new key players be in the incoming Biden administration uh, who will be heading up uh, his energy and climate team? Yeah, so former Secretary of State John Kerry has been announced as President-elect Biden's uh, special climate envoy. So 
He'll be charged early in the administration with rejoining the Paris Climate Accord and pushing climate progress on the international front. Uh, other uh, former Obama administration veterans like EPA, uh, former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy, uh, who also ran the Clean Air Office at EPA and played a major role in developing the Obama administration's Clean Power Plan, has been announced for National Climate Advisor, so she'll be placed very closely to the President uh, in the White House. Uh, other Obama administration veterans like Brenda Mallory have been announced to run the Council on Environmental Quality which oversees environmental reviews for virtually all major national infrastructure projects uh, like uh, inter uh, interstate uh, pipeline projects, uh, ports, export terminals, highways. Uh, so she helped lead the Climate 21 project, which delivered recommendations for how the Biden administration can leverage existing authorities and programs within the federal government to address climate change. Uh, so I, I think you'll see this sort of whole government perspective uh, coming into the administration uh, at the White House advisor level. And then at the Department of Energy, you know, former governor of uh, Michigan, Jennifer Granholm, brings deep experience with the U.S. auto industry. A, a big advantage as Biden seeks to speed the rollout of electric vehicles and build a network of 500,000 charging stations to power them. Uh, Granholm has sought to position herself as a figure who can help the U.S. auto industry transition to this clean energy economy a process that you know, Biden has made one of the top four goals of his administration. Uh, so the Department of Energy will also play a key role in reducing emissions from uh, the building sector, uh, another target of the, the Biden administration's climate plan. Uh, the Department of Energy has responsibility for setting appliance standards, for conducting research on things like electric heat pumps and uh, a lot of building technologies and residential uh, energy efficiency programs. So these appointments go back to that whole of government approach. Um, other key transition officials I would note uh, are ASME fellow and former ARPA-E director Arun Majumdar, uh, who may be tapped to lead a new advanced research projects agency uh, for climate. Uh, so similar to the uh, advanced research projects agency for energy, but more focused on uh, broad climate goals. Uh, as part of the new administration's plans to tackle climate change through technology innovation, uh, innovation, investment, and deployment. Uh, so DOE has existing authorities uh, in its loan guarantee programs to support clean energy technology development. Uh, so we may see a new effort to leverage some of these authorities uh, that haven't been used much since uh, the Solyndra uh, solar energy loan fiasco uh, during the Obama administration, and, and since then have been uh, used pretty sparingly, uh, but there's a large pool of uh, over $35 billion uh, in loan guarantees that are already authorized, uh, waiting to be utilized. Um, finally, I'd note that on the EPA front, Michael Regan, a former secretary of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality and a former uh, associate vice president of the Environmental Defense Fund, is a nod to the Democratic Party's progressive wing that pushed uh, Biden's team to emphasize uh, minority and poor communities facing lingering effects and threats from pollution. Uh, so EPA is, is going to be a central agency in carrying out the Biden administration's uh, climate pl change plans, um, which call for eliminating carbon dioxide emissions from the power grid by 2035 and putting the country on a path toward net zero emissions by 2050. And let's take a look at um... At, at Congress, um, who are some of the new, the notable new members of Congress um, uh, from the engineering perspective? Yeah, so we're we're always interested in tracking, uh, you know, who are the engineers in Congress and who's bringing that science and technology perspective to Congress. 
there are only 18 engineers on the 117th Congress, so each one brings a special background with them. In the freshman class, we will have a mechanical engineer joining Congress with the appointment of Alex Padilla to replace Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's seat in California. He formerly served as an assistant to Senator Dianne Feinstein, so it looks like he'll be able to hit the ground running in the Senate. Uh, Another exciting addition for the engineering community is uh, former naval combat pilot and astronaut Mark Kelly of Arizona. He'll get to complete John McCain's six-year term in the Senate, which ends in January 2023. Um, So Senator Kelly made science and his perspective as an astronaut a central part of his campaign. He's the first astronaut to serve in Congress since John John Glenn's retirement in 1999. So he'll bring an entirely unique perspective to the 117th Congress. And of course, his his wife, former Representative Gabby Gifford, was also a passionate advocate uh, for science and engineering issues when she served on the House Science Committee uh, before her tragic retirement from Congress after an assassination attempt in 2011. So uh, other veterans moving up the ranks uh, are uh, Representative Bruce Westerman of Arkansas is set to become ranking member on the House Natural Resources Committee which has jurisdiction over a number of areas critical to the mechanical engineering and sort of engineering profession broadly. Uh, Things like offshore and onshore oil and gas development, a wide variety of water, coastal, and public land regulations. Uh, Westerman has sponsored some bipartisan approaches to addressing climate change like the Trillion Trees Act, and his background in forestry issues uh, will be interesting to see how he works with the the, uh, Democratic chair on, on natural resources in the 117th Congress. Uh, finally, I would note that uh, Representative Paul Tonko of New York is another member to watch. Uh, uh, he's a mechanical engineer and should once again be chairing the House Energy and Commerce uh, Subcommittee on Environment and Climate Change. Uh, Representative Tonko helped write the House Democrats' Climate Leadership and Environmental Action for Our Nation's Future Act, or the Clean Future Act, uh, which got less press than the Green New Deal resolution, but you know was a real piece of legislation uh, this is something, you know, Tonko did not endorse the Green New Deal, but he didn't attack it either. So his approach has been uh, uh, less about headlines and more about, uh, you know, steps to, uh, to write, you know, bipartisan legislation that can get enacted and create progress on addressing climate change, something that's real, yielded real results since some of his bills on weatherization and energy efficiency and electric vehicles uh, achieved real bipartisan support, and, and some of them were actually included in the Energy Act of 2020, which President Trump signed into law on December 27th. Okay. Um, so let's talk a bit about that bipartisan energy package. Uh, give us a quick rundown of highlights from it, please. Sure. So the closing act of the 116th Congress uh, was this big combination economic relief and appropriations package. Uh, which included a a number of bipartisan energy bills from both the House and Senate. Um, This is the largest energy policy package Congress has passed since 2007, and it authorizes up to $35 billion in new funding for R&D and clean energy technologies like wind, solar, advanced nuclear, uh, carbon capture, utilization and storage, and energy storage technologies more broadly. So Congress will have to appropriate money to fund these, these initiatives, uh, but their authorization all but assures significant new funding for many energy innovation and climate change related programs. Um, for the business community, the Energy Act of 2020 also included uh, 
extend, extended sunset, the sunset and phase down periods for federal tax credits related to the development of an operation of certain renewable energy electric generation facilities, uh, provided new, a new tax credit extension rules specifically applying to offshore wind facilities. Uh, and the act also provides eligibility extensions for tax benefits applying to other green energy technologies, including carbon capture and sequestration. So lawmakers uh, reauthorize a number of these programs uh, as well in this act on uh, that are standing programs at the Department of Energy to conduct research and development for things like energy storage, uh, wind, solar, carbon capture, geothermal, hydropower, advanced nuclear. Uh, so the Energy Act of 2020 sets up substantial new investments in energy technologies at the core of ASME's expertise. Uh, and the bill also includes a measure creating a program aimed at curbing emissions from industrial sources. So there's a lot to unpack in this bill. And it's something we'll be covering in ASME's government relations newsletter, Capital Update, uh, over the next several weeks as Congress begins considering appropriations on this issue. So I, I encourage people to subscribe to that newsletter if you haven't. How will uh, all of these developments shape um, the Biden administration's first 100 days, the agenda for the first 100 days? Yeah, so the Energy Act of 2020 is sort of a down payment on uh, one of the first 100-day priorities uh, for the Biden administration, which is addressing climate change. Uh, the president-elect has made his priorities very clear. It's uh, the pandemic and COVID-19, uh, the recession and economic stimulus, climate change and racial inequality. So I imagine there will be an early push for additional economic stimulus and uh, COVID-19 vaccination and response funding, uh, perhaps combined with uh, some infrastructure investments. Uh, there will also be a major push uh, from pushed back on many of the uh, actions that the Trump administration pursued through executive orders um, that at a stroke of the pen can be reversed or, or mitigated through the regulatory process. Um, so we'll see a revisit to some of the last minute rules from the Trump administration, such as the secret science rules at EPA that were uh, just finalized this week, uh, a review of other rules such as those for clean water, uh, fuel economy standards, renewable fuel quotas, methane emissions on public lands, uh, federal leasing in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Many of these items uh, will have to be pursued through the rulemaking process. Uh, it won't necessarily happen within the first 100 days, but we will likely see a number of executive orders on energy environmental issues uh, repealed or revised in the first 100 days. And uh, with a 51-seat majority in the Senate, Democrats will also have the Congressional Review Act at their disposal. So several of these last-minute rules uh, will face the review period under the Congressional uh, Review Act, uh, which with 51 votes in the Senate, they could be repealed. Um, another good thing for the first 100 days is that with passage of full appropriations for fiscal year 2021, uh, signed into law by President Trump in December, this sort of clears the deck for Congress to return to regular order in the budget process this year. Uh, the government is fully funded through October 1st, 2021, uh, and uh, President-elect Biden is a veteran with a lot of veteran expertise coming on board. So I think we'll see this administration working much more closely with Congress on regular budget and appropriations issues. Uh, the 2022 budget cycle is the first time uh, in over a decade that the budget, se budget sequestration rules uh, from the 2011 Budget Control Act will not apply to the budget process this year. So there are no more threats of automatic spending cuts. 
no more 50-50 split between defense and non-defense discretionary spending. Uh, and as I noted earlier, Democrats will now have the budget reconciliation process at their disposal. So we may see a lot of energy programs authorized uh, in December actually uh, get some significant new funding uh, in the 2022 budget cycle. Okay. Uh, there's a lot that uh, will be moving um, in the next uh, in the next two to three months, and we're going to have to leave it there for now, Paul. Uh, we will be following these uh, people who you mentioned and these issues uh, in the coming months. So uh, thanks very much for being here and talking about this. Thank you again for having me, John. And thanks to all for listening today. You can listen to more ASME TechCasts on engineering topics and issues on your favorite podcast platform. I'm John Kozowatz for Mechanical Engineering Magazine and ASME.org. Thanks for listening.